Good morning. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And there's notes in the bulletin if you would like to follow along uh, with me this morning. This morning we're continuing in our summer sermon series of Knowing Jesus. And this is going to be week five. The goal of this series is that we would know the truth about who Jesus is and that we would understand why these matter, why these truths matter. This is important. It's very important. We must understand the basic principles of our faith. The writer of Hebrews points this out. In Hebrews chapter 5, I want to uh, start by reading this. This is Hebrews chapter 5, verse, starting in verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in their word of, in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. The writer of Hebrews here uses a metaphor of infants and milk. This is something that we understand. You have a newborn, you don't feed them steak. They can't handle it. We start off on milk, and as they grow, we transition them to solid food. Our walk with Christ should be the exact same way. We should be growing in maturity. We should transition from milk to solid food. And right here in Hebrews, this is a call for us to grow mature in Christ. That's our aim in this series. The aim is that we would know who Jesus is, but not just head facts. We don't want to just know the knowledge in our head. We want that knowledge to transition into humble, reverent worship. So that's the two goals. Know who Jesus is and reverent worship. So that's this series. This is week five. Week one, we talked about Jesus as the ruler. Week two... We talked about Jesus as the Savior. In week three, Ron Hinesley talked to us about Jesus as our friend. Last week, Landon preached and he talked about Jesus being faithful. This morning, we're going to talk about Jesus as the mediator. Our passage this morning is going to be 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 
1 through 7. But before we jump into that, I want to give you a little background on the book of 1 Timothy. Landon mentioned this a couple weeks ago whenever he talked about Jesus as our Savior. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are known as the pastoral epistles. They're known as the pastoral epistles because Paul was not writing to churches. He was writing to pastors of churches. And if you were with us over the past few months, we walked through the book of Titus. Paul wrote a letter to Titus. He was pastoring a church. And if you were with us, you remember we talked about three things. We talked about right leadership, right doctrine, and right living. It's what Paul was telling Titus. And what we're reading today, we will see that the church in Ephesus had issues in all three of those areas. So, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to deal with some false teachers in the church. If you have your Bible open, you can flip over one page, maybe it's on the same page, to 1 Timothy 1, and you see in verse 3, Paul says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. The issue in Ephesus was false teaching. Paul had to move on, but he needed somebody to stay and correct it. So he left Timothy in Ephesus to deal with the issue. And then Paul, after he left, he wrote this letter to Timothy. Paul wrote 1 Timothy to instruct him about issues in the church and to address how believers ought to behave in the church. If you still have your Bible open, you can flip over one page to chapter 3. And in verse 14, he says, I hope to see you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Paul's writing to him to tell him this is how people should behave. This is the central focus of Paul's letter to Timothy. This is a letter written to a pastor about how he should pastor his church. So that's some of the background of 1 Timothy. So that brings us to our big idea for today. And it's really simple. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the mediator. Let's read our passage. 1 Timothy chapter 2. The Bible says this, first of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, 
for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We know that your word is true, and it is the authority in our lives. This morning, I ask that you would show us the truth. You would help us to see the truth about who Jesus is and what he did for us. Pray that you would give us hearts to receive it and that it would change our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to just jump right into the text and kind of walk through it. Um, I want to look at the first four verses uh, a little bit when we start. Our focus this morning is going to be verses five and six, but verses one through four lead us to five and six. So I want us to just look at these verses quickly this morning. I love how Paul lays out his instruction. I told you that he was writing to a pastor to tell people how they ought to behave in the church. The way Paul lays this out, I love it. He says, he gives you the instruction, and then he gives you the reason why you need to do that, and then he tells you how it's even possible. So let's look at the text again. If you look at verse 1. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. That's the instruction. We were to pray for all people. All different kinds of prayers for all different kinds of people. It's the instruction. And he gives us the why. Verse 2, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the why. So that we can live quiet, peaceful lives, so that people can be saved. And then he gives us the how. How are people saved? Verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Paul is telling Timothy, pray for all people 
Because God desires that all people be saved through Jesus, the mediator. Now, I want to stop right here and make a comment. This isn't in your notes, but I think this is important, and then we should not pass this up. There are some who read a passage like this, and they see that it says, God desires that all people be saved, and that Jesus died for all people. And they say, well, if God desires it, then it has to happen. So therefore, all people get saved. This is what's called universalism. Doesn't matter what you do, God's going to save everybody because God desires it. And because God desires it, it has to happen. That's not what Paul is teaching here. This is why context is so important. So let's just walk through this. Paul starts off and he says, pray for all people. Now, Paul is not saying that you are to pray for every single person that has ever lived or ever will live. That's not what he's saying. And we know that because he says, pray for kings and people in high positions. We are to pray for those that are in lowly positions, and we are to pray for those who are in high positions. If that's the context that Paul is starting this passage off in, then the all that we pray for is the same all that are saved. If we are to pray for all different kinds of people, then God desires for all different kinds of people to be saved. And Jesus died for all kinds of people. Rich and poor. Slave and free. Jew and Gentile. That's what he means when he says all people. And how is that possible? Verse 5 again, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now what does it mean that Jesus is the mediator? I think we have to start off with a simple question. What's a mediator? A mediator is a person who helps people involved in a conflict come to an agreement. Mediator is a go-between, helping people, two parties that are at disagreement, reconcile and come together. Maybe some of you have had to play the role of mediator. Maybe in your family or with friends. I know me, personally, as a dad, I have had to play mediator between my two daughters a lot. They're 20 and 17, and I still have to be the mediator. So if a mediator is someone who helps resolve conflict between two people, then we have to ask the question, why do we need a mediator? We need a mediator because 
our sin has separated us from God. Our sin has completely separated us from God. A couple weeks ago, I got the privilege of going to youth camp with our youth. I think we have a picture of... So the first picture is us leaving, and the second picture is us there. So I got this privilege to go. Now, as I say that, I'm looking at your faces, and I can see that you're thinking, five days with crazy teenagers? Twelve of those hours, of those five days, was on a bus with those same teenagers. Six hours there and six hours back. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, is that a privilege or is that a punishment? Maybe, maybe you were being punished. But we had a great time. Jake did a great job of, of leading our youth. We spent five days in Glorieta, New Mexico. And by the way, did I mention the highs while we were there were low 80s? It was in the 50s at night. I think it was like 125 here while we were there. But one of my favorite things that we did at camp was day one. You get there and it's a half day, so you only have the afternoon and the evening. But day one, we study Genesis chapter 3. We talked about all of creation. We talked about chapters 1 and 2, about how God had created all things, the heavens and the earth, the waters and the land, the birds, the fish, the animals. And after everything he created, at the end of every day, he said, it is good. And then we talked about God creating man in his image, male and female. And after God created male and female, he said, it is very good. God put Adam in the garden so that he could work it and tend to it. And God gave him one command. One command. God said, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you should not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It's the one command. They had access to everything. One command. Then we turn to Genesis chapter 3. And a new character shows up on the scene. You have the serpent. And he comes to Eve, and he says, did God actually say? He gets Eve to question God's word. And then he says, you shall not die. You will actually become like God, and you will know good and evil. So Eve takes the fruit, and her and Adam both eat of it. And in that moment, everything changes. Everything changes. 
Before that moment, Adam walked in perfect relationship with God. Perfect relationship with him. He was in his presence all the time. And that moment, everything changed. Adam and Eve's relationship changed. When God asked them what has happened, they both point the finger at somebody else. It changes Adam's relationship with the ground. It's going to be hard now for him to grow things. But most importantly, it changed Adam's relationship with God. Because of their sin, they had to leave the garden. And in doing so, they leave the presence of God. That's where we ended day one of camp. And the goal in doing that was for us to sit in this idea of our sin. How sin has damaged everything in our life. Our relationships, our thoughts, our behavior. Sin has corrupted all of it. And this affects everyone. It wasn't just Adam and Eve that were affected by the sin. Every one of us is affected by this. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spreads to all men because all have sinned. Through Adam, sin entered the world and it affects everyone. But it's worse than that. It's worse than we think. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 8. For the mindset, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's worse than we think. Not only are we separated, but we are hostile towards God. We want nothing to do with him. And there's nothing that we can do about it. We cannot please God in our sin in any way. Left to ourselves, we are hopeless. This is why we need a mediator. We need somebody to bridge the gap between God and sinful people. Now, this has always been the case with God's people. Ever since the fall, God's people have needed a mediator. They cannot approach God without a mediator. If you think back to Exodus, in Exodus, God called Moses to be the mediator of the Old Covenant. God gave his law to his people through Moses. And then Moses would intercede for God's people to God. To put it in the simplest terms, God spoke to his people through Moses, and Moses spoke to God for his people. 
He was their mediator, their go-between. This also continued in the Old Covenant priesthood. Only the priests were allowed to go into the holiest places of the tabernacle. Only the priests. They were the mediators that went into the place where God's presence dwelled. They also were the ones who would sacrifice for the sins of themselves. They presented sacrifices for their own sin. But they also would present sacrifices for God's people. They were the go-between. But this was all temporary, all of it. Because all of it was meant to point to the one true mediator to come. And that brings us to our next question. Why is Jesus the only mediator? Jesus is the only mediator because he's the only person that is qualified. He's the only one that has the qualifications. We know about this. You can't get any job that you want just because you want it. You have to have qualifications for a lot of jobs. Jesus is the only one who has the qualifications for this role. So first, let's talk about what qualifies him. The first thing that qualifies Jesus is who he is. First, he is fully God. John 1, 1. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know that Jesus is the Word. He was with God, and he is God. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 2. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He is fully God. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that Jesus needed to be fully God? He shows us God's love through what he did on the cross in his sacrifice. He also, being fully God, can fully relate to God. So not only is he fully God, he's also fully man. And in our passage this morning, Paul places an emphasis on Jesus' humanity. Look with me at verse 5, where Paul says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Why is it important that he be fully man? There's a few reasons. Adam was a man, and he sinned. The blood of bulls and goats would not cover the sin of a man. The blood of a man was required 
for the sins of a man. Second, he was perfect obedience. He lived a life of perfect obedience. He was the man who had no sin. And we know that he also was tempted in every way, like we are, but yet without sin. So therefore, because he was a man and he was tempted, he can fully relate to us. So to be an effective mediator, someone has to be able to have the interest of both parties. And in Jesus, we see that. Because he is fully God and he is fully man, he can identify both with God and with man. He's the bridge between God and sinful man. But it's not only who he is, but it's also what he did. The second thing that qualifies him is the fact that Jesus paid a ransom on the cross. If you look at verse 6, it says, who gave himself... Speaking of Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. The word ransom here refers to paying for somebody's release or freedom. So Jesus gave himself as a ransom. Now we... As sinful people, we owe a debt to God. We owe a debt because of our disobedience. It's a debt that we can never repay. But Jesus paid that with his life. He gave his life as a ransom. He paid for our freedom. He took on the full payment of sin. All of God's wrath for his people's sin, the payment that you and I owe, Jesus took it. And those of us that respond in faith to Jesus, we get to exchange our sin for his righteousness. He paid for our sin. He paid a payment that he did not owe so that those of us that owed it did not have to. He paid the ransom on the cross. He was the sinless final sacrifice. So finally, it's not only who he is or what he did, it's what he does. Jesus intercedes for his people. This is something that I think we as believers can tend to forget. You tend to forget about what Jesus is doing. I want you to stop and think about this with me for just a minute. The mediator, the son of God, the creator of all things, and the sustainer of all things, 
is right now at the right hand of the Father interceding for His people. Hebrews chapter 7 says this. This makes Jesus a better this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in the office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. We can have confidence in our salvation because our mediator, our Savior, is at the throne of God praying for us. Constantly. He is constantly praying for his people. So there's only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's no other middleman. There's nobody else that we have to go through. No saint, no priest. There's nobody that you have to go through to get to Jesus. Jesus is our mediator. He's the one that we go through. There's only one way, which is why Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the life. I mean, I'm sorry. I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. People don't like to hear that, especially in our culture today. But there's only one way. There's only one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. So the last question we want to answer this morning is, is this. How does Jesus become our mediator? And first, we must recognize our need for a mediator. We must fully understand our situation. We must fully understand our sin. God is holy, and we are not. We are sinful people who deserve nothing but God's judgment and his wrath. That's what we deserve. Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone, everyone falls short of God's glory. And we also must fully understand what sin leads to. Romans 6.23 tells us that for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. Left to ourselves, we deserve death. 
We are dead in our sins and deserve nothing but God's wrath. We need a mediator. And lastly, how does Jesus become our mediator? We must repent and believe. We repent of our sins. This word literally means to change your mind. Change your mind about sin. As Landon always puts it, we need to agree with God about our sin. We are sinful people who deserve death. And we repent of that. And we also put our faith in Jesus. We believe in him. That means we believe what the Bible tells us about who he is, about what he did, and about what he is doing. That's what we believe. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus puts it this way. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's how Jesus becomes our mediator. We understand our need for Jesus, and we repent and believe. Earlier, I had asked Corey to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I did that because in that passage, Paul is talking about reconciliation. And he says this in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. God is reconciling people to himself through the mediator, through Jesus. And those of us that have been reconciled to God, we now have the message of reconciliation. We need to go and tell people who need to be reconciled to God how they can be reconciled to God through the one and only mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. 